Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna add ya Tanaka's Fakakta, jag like Michael Waka Polanco and Bronco Happy Kokomo Friday. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Stample alongside Scott White getting ready to help you with your week eight lineups and looking forward to the Labor Day weekend as well. I haven't asked this in a while, Scott, but, and I know you love this question. Any big plans this weekend? Maybe hit some dingers and whiff a ball off the little kiddos? What are we thinking? (laughs) Uh, No, no, I honestly have not thought about it. Uh, so what about you? I'll throw it right back to you. I do have a few fantasy football drafts. So this is a big fantasy football draft weekend. I have a family barbecue, you know, nothing too crazy. Uh, just my immediate family. So that'll be fun. Get to see some people, of course, uh, while being safe and social distancing. But yeah, I mean, a pretty, pretty standard Labor Day weekend, just family and, and drafting. Any football for you this year, Scott? Yes, I will do a fantasy football draft next week. I, I believe that's my only league. I can't, gosh, I was probably in college the last time I had just one fantasy football league, but uh, I will have the one and it'll be fun. I'm jealous because I am in way too many fantasy football leagues, which is normally the case in fantasy baseball as well. But as they say in The Sopranos, what are you going to do? Today on the show, we have two star pitchers. Thursday's action, some recapping of what happened on Thursday. I actually just turned my head. I got the Dodgers game on here while we're recording this. A closer look at San Francisco. I know this is something we wanted to look at regarding Oracle Park and the offense being up in San Francisco this season. And of course, we'll help you set your lineups with a preview of Week 8. Some questions later on as well. Fantasy Baseball at CBSI.com. Scott, let's get things started as we do on every Friday show, looking at the two start pitchers for week eight that are under 80% rostered. What can you tell me about the upcoming schedule, uh, some of the two star pitchers? Who are some of your favorite names that stand out? Okay, so let me mention the schedule first because it's a wild one. It's, it's a crazy. Weird one. It is crazy. <laughs> And it's probably going to be every week from here on out because doubleheaders are just there. The, the schedule is populated with so many doubleheaders. I, I don't even have a count for how many are on the schedule this week. But not only do we have, let's see, one, two, three teams playing eight games. That would be the Tigers, Cardinals, and Rangers. We also have three teams playing nine games. The Marlins, A's, and Phillies. And in fact, the Marlins and, and Phillies have a six game series this week. Um, how many doubleheaders just in that series? I think just two. But yeah, six games total between those two teams this week. So, so that's interesting. You'd think with that many games, there would be a lot of two start pitchers, but there really aren't because. With doubleheaders, especially, you know, they're obviously trying to cram as many games into the schedule as they can now. So there's not like there's off days to build in some rest there for the pitching staff. So they just have to bring in new arms to to meet the need in those doubleheaders. Uh, so there, there really aren't a ton of two-start options. Uh, but there are some worthwhile ones. Tyler Malley, who we've talked about a lot recently, he's still available in more than half of CBS sports leagues, and he's among my favorites. He has He's at the Cubs and at the Cardinals. I mean, the matchups are so-so, but um, the Cardinals is actually a pretty good matchup. 
but I do feel comfortable with where Tyler Malley is as a pitcher. And I feel confident as confident as I can be anyway, that he's going to make those two starts. Uh, Kevin Gosman isn't a bad option. He also has one good matchup versus the Diamondbacks, one not so good at the Padres, but he's been missing a lot of bats. I think it's worth using him with the two-start week. Kwang Hyun Kim. Don't totally trust the profile there since he hasn't been missing bats, but he's been very reliable so far at the Cubs and versus the Reds. Uh, you know, if you can, if, if Sixto, like Sixto Sanchez is still available in more than a quarter, of CBS leagues, probably not that many that uh, among the people who are listening now, but I, I think he's must start with two starts at this point. If you want to go really deep, Trevor Richards is available in more than 90% of CBS sports leagues. And his starts tend to be pretty short. I'm not sure how confident you can be in him delivering a win, but at Washington versus Boston. Those are two pretty good matchups. He's pitched pretty well his last couple outings, though they were on the shorter side. I think he's a fine, deep sleeper among two-star pitchers. You also have Zach Eflin, who pitched today. He's, he's, he's always risky, but versus Boston at Miami, those are good matchups. Jordan Montgomery at Toronto versus Baltimore. Jay Happ, same matchups at Toronto versus Baltimore. I don't think they're terrible options if you're just looking to get an extra start in in a points league specifically. But if you're in a categories league and your guarding ratios, probably want to steer clear of them. Those are probably the main ones. Do you see anybody else that uh, is worth considering, Frank? Luke Weaver had a good start today, bouncing back from a terrible one. Uh, One of his matchups is the Mariners. One is the Dodgers, though. Mm -hmm. He did perform so I, pretty well against the Dodgers, as you mentioned, on, on in Thursday's start, five and a third, two earned, zero walks, which obviously is the key, and, and five strikeouts for Weaver. Yeah, I I can't really figure out what's going on with him. It seems like his fastball and changeup are both actually uh, playing a little better than he did than they did last year. Um but the results, for the most part, haven't been there. So, you know, kind of in the same category, I guess, as Jordan Montgomery and Jay Happ. It's not like they're super reliable either. I think that uh, makes a lot of sense because I think there's a lot of volatility with all those names. With the Yankee mm-hmm. starters, Montgomery couldn't get out of the first inning the other day. Uh, Jay Happ really did not look great against the Mets on Thursday either. Luke Weaver has been very inconsistent even after this solid start. His ERA stands at 7.44. Again, that is Luke Weaver. So they're risky. You know, there's a lot of volatility between those names in a deeper points league, maybe if you want some volume, but I I can't imagine. I wouldn't want to do it. In, in a standard points right. league, 12 teams, five starting pitchers, I would not want to use any of Hap Montgomery or Luke Weaver. Scott, I'm going to throw a few names out there, which according to, to the website, have two starts, and obviously that can change as things update a little bit here. But Tristan McKenzie looks like he might have a two-star week. Yep. Obviously, you should start him. He's going up against the Royals at the Twins. Don't love that second start at the Twins, but one of them's against the Royals, and McKenzie has looked really good, so I think he's a must-start. Another name wanted to get your thoughts on, Andrew Heaney, who was pretty good. No, he wasn't just pretty good. He was really good on Thursday against the Padres, who entering that start were like first in baseball in WOBA, first in baseball in weighted runs, created plus. So the Padres have a great offense. Andrew Heaney shuts them down. Seven shutout innings with six strikeouts. He has allowed just one run with 16 strikeouts over his last two starts. Andrew Heaney, 77% rostered, so he might not be out there. One start at Texas, one start at Colorado. Okay, so good news, bad news. Good news is I don't think he's going to make a start in Colorado. Bad news is I think he's only going to make one start. So Honestly, that uh, that might make me feel better. Just yeah, as a, a single yeah, start maybe. stream, one start at Texas. Rangers lineup has not been great this season, and Andrew Heaney's pitching well. So he, I'm actually he, he okay with it. Yeah, he basically looks like Andrew Heaney of last year now, which is which which means a lot of missed bats. It also means a lot of vulnerability to the long ball, which would be, you know, especially bad in a place like Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has three pitches that get whiffs at a good rate, fastball, changeup curve that pretty much all he throws. 
you know, you, you have to expect the ERA is going to be on the high side, but the strikeouts may be worth it when the matchups are right. And I think, I think he's usable. I don't think he's a, on the verge of becoming a stud or anything, but he, he is usable. He is not a must start, but I really like the matchup against the Rangers. I'll throw a few more names your way, Scott. You well, tell me. Let, me. let me give you one real quick. Yes. Uh, because he also pitched today, and he's, his ro- he's rostered in close to 80% of leagues now, but still a questionable profile. That's Dylan Cease. His start today was not great, Bob. It was against the Royals. He three earned runs in five innings with two walks, one strikeout. The walks have been high. The strikeouts have been low. And yet he has a 329 ERA. His XFIP is like around six, I believe. <laughs> Dylan Ceases is. Oh, but no. he keeps getting these matchups against weak AL Central, well, AL and NL Central foes. And that's the same this week. He's. He has he's at Pittsburgh and versus Detroit in his two starts. So I really don't have faith in the profile Dylan Cease has brought forth so far this year. Uh, every every week though, you look at the matchup and it's like, yeah, it's going to be hard to take him out of your lineup. And that's that the same is true for this week with the Pirates and Tigers on the schedule. Yeah, just fantastic starts. You're right, though. It's it's gross. It is gross for Dylan Cease. I'm looking at it. After today's start, he has a 3.29 ERA, a 5.84 XFIP, 6.15 K per nine, 4.39 walks per nine. That is bad. And he has a swinging strike rate below 10%. So, oh, I mean, eventually it's something like he's going to get blown up. Like there's going to be a regression eventually for Dylan Cease. I don't know if it's going to happen this season, especially with those matchups, but... I can get behind it just just based on on the matchups that you brought up for Dylan Cease. A few other names I'll throw you away. Chris Bassett, sixty eight percent rostered. He's at Houston and at Texas. So that's very questionable because we don't you know, the, the A's have been off for a long time, so we don't know exactly how the rotation is going to line up. So I'd Fair. wait and see on that. Matthew Boyd, sixty five percent rostered, has looked a little bit better recently, mixing in that changeup. He is at home against the Brewers. And at the White Sox. Brewers, pretty good matchup. White Sox, he's kind of been dinged around by so far this season. Okay, so I'm I'm not sure he's actually in line for two starts either. I don't have him in my two start rankings. That's, <laughs> that's why, that's <laughs> why we, we do this. Though. On this beforehand. No, know. no, no. That's why we do this though. I mean, but, I, I bring up the names and you tell me if it's if it's actually a two start week or not. But I do have him in my 10 sleeper pitchers for this week for his one matchup against the Brewers, who have actually been abysmal offensively this year. I mean, it doesn't help that both Yelich and Hira are underperforming expectations, but there's really no one in the lineup apart from them. So that's that's a great matchup for Matthew Boyd and his, you know, mixed in the changeup very effectively his past couple outings. The one thing I will say is, the Brewers have been dreadful against righties this year. They have a 283 Woba, which is 28th in baseball. But against lefties, they have a 341 Woba, which is ninth best. So, for what it's worth, the Brewers have been good against lefties, but not good against righties. Um, I like your call on Gausman. Gausman, sorry. Uh, I like Mally. Last name I'll ask you about, Alec Mills, against the Reds and at Milwaukee, 51% rostered. I do think he's actually making two starts. I just don't think he's good enough. <laughs> I, I actually think I know the Reds haven't scored many runs this year, and so you know if if we're just going to apply that standard, it's a good matchup. But I I I still have faith in the Reds. They have faith in themselves. They they weren't sellers at the deadline. Um, they just seem like the team that's underachieved the most this year, and uh, I would not consider them a good matchup especially for a really fringy pitcher like that. I agree. He was not great on Thursday. Four runs over five innings for Alec Mills, and his ERA is up to 5.50. So that is a no for me. I am not starting Alec Mills. All right, some Thursday standouts. Take it away, Susan. Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm going to let you start here, Scott, as long as you promise not to take my player. I don't know who your player is. (laughs) I'll give you a hint. We were talking about him before we started recording. Okay, I think I know who your player is. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go with... 
Uh, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Reese Hoskins because he homered for the sixth time in nine games, and his numbers are looking pretty awesome. All of a sudden, he is striking out a lot less. He's got a near one to one strikeout to walk ratio. Of course, we always knew he walked a lot. Um, and you know, obviously, his season long numbers look really good now. Do the underlying numbers look good? Well, they look better than they did a week ago, which, you know, even even the expected stats are going to be susceptible to streaks. Uh, they just kind of confirm or deny the legitimacy of the streaks in a way. They they look better than they did a week ago, but it's still like a 243 XBA. Um, it is a 401 X Woba with all those walks. So he's, you know, he's, he's, I, okay. Let me, I could say this. Reese Hoskins is looking a lot better than he did last year. And my bust concerns heading into the season are pretty much relieved. Uh, as hot as he's been, I think he is probably overachieving a little, but I do think he's going to remain a must start player for you. If you're willing to, to ride out the streaks. And I think that is very well said, and I agree with you. And that comes from someone who actually liked Reese Hoskins coming into the year, got off to a slow start. The power wasn't there. He was walking a ton and still is walking a ton, 18.7% walk rate, which we probably, I think we have the new Carlos Santana on our hands here for points leagues. He just is fantastic, but he has cut the strikeout rate about 5%, which has gone a long way for him. Uh, But I don't think that he's going to keep this batting average up. His fly ball rate is still massive. His infield fly ball rate, or otherwise just known as pop-up rate, is <laughs> 19%. That is dreadful. And that, that is a stat that I look at because those are automatic outs. And his launch yeah, angle... It's, it's always high for him. I mean, yeah. it's, it's even more high. That's the thing. Like The thing about Reese Hoskins and why I was really starting to worry about him is he puts the ball in the air a ton but doesn't hit it especially hard on average in terms of exit, average exit velocity. I'm sure the pop-ups contribute to bringing that down. So that's not going to change. We say we're pretty confident his batting average is going to go down. It's at 269 right now. So it's not like he's hot and now he's hitting 340, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's going to be... It, it, it's going to be a suboptimal category for him, for sure. But I think, I think I'm back at a point where the the good outweighs the bad for Hoskins. And uh, I was really starting to worry about that coming into the season. I think he probably settles in around 250. I I think that's fair. Uh, With everything we've said, his expected slug is still 522, which is a great number. So uh, again, we're talking about Reese Hoskins, but the launch angle, 26 degrees, the average launch angle, that is this, that that's really pulled up by all the pop-ups and just all the fly balls. So I don't love that. I wanted him to get, you know, closer to, Drop it below 20, hit a few line drives, but ultimately, I, I think that your analysis on Reese Hoskins was correct, and I tend to agree. A player that I would like to talk about, and I'm happy that you did not steal him. Luis Robert hit a 456-foot home run on Thursday, a three-run homer. That was his 11th homer of the season. He is now batting 278, 24 runs scored, 27 RBI, four steals. He is the ninth best outfielder in Roto. And entering tonight's game, he had, he was averaging 3.3 fantasy points per game. So given his, you know, poor plate discipline, we'll call it, he's still averaging a good amount of fantasy points. So I thought that that was commendable. StatCast is off the charge, charts for Luis Robert. 81st percentile in exit velocity, 86th in hard hit rate, 91st in ex-WOBA, 97th percentile in ex-slug, 97th percentile in sprint speed, Fantastic athlete, 98th percentile in barrel rate. He is slugging 732, Luis Robert, slugging 732 on breaking pitches, which was maybe what we were scared most of entering the season. The hole in the swing, he's still striking out around 30%, but he is destroying breaking pitches. Scott, give me your analysis to uh, on Luis Robert to this point in the season, and... What do you think happens heading into next year? Because I think we have a Fernando Tatis situation on our hands. I think Luis Robert is probably a second-round pick. I don't think he falls below the third round, the latest. 
Look, I, I mean, Fernando Tatis, what he did last year, like he he contributed a lot across the board. He hit three seventeen, uh, you know, and, and basically half a season's worth of games, twenty two homers, sixteen steals. It was like a forty thirty pace. In addition to having a really high batting average, and like we haven't seen that from Robert, we've seen a lot of power, uh, a good profile for power, as you pointed out from the Statcast numbers. The you know what percentile he's in. It's it's to me a very Jorge Soler like profile because you know there's a lot of strikeouts too, and obviously we don't think of Jorge Soler as being that high. And, and look, we're going to draft Robert ahead of Solaire. I think partly it depends on how much he runs from this point forward. He has four steals. I think the jury's still out on whether or not that's going to be a regular part of his game. But we know when I, I feel comfortable saying Luis Robert is a really good power hitter with some, some flaws in the plate discipline department. I'm not sure between him and Eloy Jimenez, who's really better. I mean, it's it's very similar there. Just maybe Robert's going to deliver steals. So I wouldn't rank him as high as you have him. I mean, even even looking at the ninth so far in among Roto outfielders, you know, who's not in the top nine is Ronald Acuna, Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, guys that I feel pretty confident we're still going to rank ahead of Luis Robert going into next year. Yes. Um, so... I think uh, I think he's probably top 15 for me among outfielders, verging on top 12, uh, depending on how things play out for guys like Charlie Blackman, you know, whether George Springer and J.D. Martinez come roaring back. Uh, yeah, that's about where I have Robert for now. Uh, you know, it's he's off to a really good start to his major league career, but I'm not I'm not quite ready to anoint him a second round pick. I'm not saying that I would do it. I'm just saying I feel like that's going to happen. Like, that's where the hype is going to kind of settle in on Luis Roberts, similar to how it did with Tatis. And I don't know if he's, you know, obviously what Tatis has done this year has been remarkable. And I don't know that Luis Robert is going to be able to carry something like what he's done, done this season over into 2021. We're, that remains to be seen. But I will say his full season pace numbers now, not saying it would ever happen. 49 home runs and 18 steals. So I'll just throw it out there. I think the hype is is going to be out of control next year. And he was one, one of my FOMO players, and I, I didn't wind up with a single share of Luis Robert. And this is part of the reason why I, I had the fear of missing out because I thought that this is potentially in the range of outcomes for Luis Robert. Some news and notes. The Angels placed infielder David Fletcher on the 10-day IL retroactive to August 31st with a left ankle sprain, which stinks because... He's been pretty damn good. The Padres activated Will Myers off the IL Thursday. This seems like it might have been some kind of contract tracing situation. Of course, they didn't reveal that information, but based on him being on the IL for just two days, that's what I gather. Cody Bellinger was back in the lineup for the Dodgers after dealing with a minor lat issue. Jose Altuve will undergo an MRI on his right knee after an awkward slide in Thursday's game. Pay attention to that. The A's have officially been cleared to return on Friday against the Padres. The Brewers have designated Justin Smoke for assignment and are adding Dan Vogelback to the roster. Uh, Royals outfielder Edwin Olivares, who came over in the Trevor Rosenthal trade, was recalled and in the lineup Thursday. I didn't hmm. Let's see if he did anything. I, I'm sure if he did, it probably would have stood out to me. Edward Olivares went two for five with two runs. All right. I mean, you were kind of interested bad. in him, right? In deeper leagues, deeper five outfielder leagues. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's stolen base potential there, which is always interesting. Stolen base potential from a guy who's not completely without power. So if the playing time's there, you know, that's check that box. Now he has to perform and uh, still has a long way to go, but a good first game with the Royals. Ian Happ was pulled from Thursday's game at, against the Pirates with an apparent right eye injury. He fouled the ball off the ground, which came back up and smacked him in the face. Please be okay, Ian Happ, because you have been awesome. Some updates on the Yankees. Aside from the fact that they stink, I mean that, Gleyber Torres will be activated either Saturday or Sunday. And truthfully, I wish that this was a joke, but we got an update on Giancarlo Stanton. He is still, quote, 
a ways away with his hamstring injury. So just an absolute mess for Giancarlo Stanton. Alex Bregman, who is dealing with a hamstring injury of his own, did fielding work on Tuesday and took batting practice on Wednesday. He will travel with the Astros this weekend where we could see him activated. So that now that's a man who knows how to come back from a hamstring injury. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he suffered that what two weeks ago, John Carlos Stanton was a month ago. Yeah. Like, yeah. But you know what? John Carlos Stanton, there was that video of him hitting a tire with a sledgehammer in the off season. Wasn't he shirtless? I think he was shirtless. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It, that, that raises ADP about two rounds right there. <laughs> Gosh, I, I will just say, like, as a Yankee fan, it, it is, uh, I don't, I'm not going to rant about the Yankees, but it's like, I have, I've, I've had it with Stanton and Judge is getting there too. I am just, I'm up to here. As Scott likes to say, you can't see it, but you can watch it on our YouTube channel. Seattle yeah. utility man, Dylan Moore worked out with the Mariners on Thursday and could be activated as soon as Friday or Saturday. According to manager Scott Service, Adam Eaton left Thursday's loss to the Phillies after jamming his right knee on first base. He is day-to-day. I do want to quickly promote things a little bit earlier today in the podcast. We have some programming notes as well. Football is here. I get it, everybody. I'm excited. I got a few drafts this weekend. But don't forget about your friendly neighborhood fantasy baseball today. We're still here. We're going five days a week throughout September. We are talking everything that you need to help win a championship this season, uh, but we're also going to start to take a look at next year, you know, as we just did with Luis Roberts. So, you know, if you're out of it, you know, you're looking towards the future, you're thinking about uh, you playing a keeper or a dynasty league and you have questions, continue to send those in, but don't go anywhere. Continue to listen because we're going to start to work in some content regarding next season as well. And with that, I will tell you what we're going to do this weekend. On Sunday, we're going to record... Two podcasts. One will be your normal weekend recap that will be published on Monday, like normal, on Labor Day. And then the second one that we will record will actually be a first-round mock draft for the 2021 season. Scott and myself are going to talk things through, see what we think heading into next season as of now, and we will also do a mailbag on that second podcast, and that one will be released on Tuesday next week. So send some questions over the weekend, fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. Put FBT mailbag in the subject, and we will try to get to as many as we possibly can on that second podcast that we're recording on Sunday, which will be published on Tuesday. All right, Scott. I took a look at San Francisco. Wanted to see why is this offense up? What is going on? There were changes in the offseason. Dead center field was pulled in from 399 feet to 391 feet. Triples alley was pulled in as well in Oracle Park from 421 feet in right center to 415 feet. According to ESPN's Park Factors, Oracle ranks 10th in runs this season and 14th in home runs. So I will put that in perspective. Again, 10th in runs, 14th in home runs. The past five years in Park Factors for runs, the Giants have been, uh, Oracle Park rather, has finished 29th, 14th, 26th, 13th, and 29th. The past five years in home run park factors in Oracle Park, entering this year. 29th, 28th, 29th, 29th, 29th. So there is a legitimate case to be made for this season. And I don't know that it's all just reliant on them pulling the fences in a little bit because I do think a lot has to do with what they themselves have done, the players, what the play, uh, what the coaches have helped them, them do to this point. I know that Farhan, Farhan Zaidi is the president or general manager, whatever he is, apologies to the Giants fans, and Gabe Kapler is their manager. They're very analytically driven. So far this year, the Giants have the third highest hard hit rate as a team, fifth highest line drive rate, and they are 11th in fly ball rate. So this seems like an organizational philosophy. I think that the fences being pulled in helps them a little bit, but I think it's more so, um, you know, I would like to shed some light on what the players themselves have done and what the coaches have helped them do to this point. Uh, Mike Yastrzemski has been awesome this year. He has an OPS over 1,000 at home. Last year, that was 759 in Oracle Park. So huge for a left-handed batter. Brandon Belt, an OPS of 1429 at home this season in San Francisco. 
for his career, that's 822. So some huge changes there to the team, for Yastrzemski, for Brendan Belt, and I don't think that it is all just uh, related to the fences being pulled in. Any takeaways there, Scott? I don't think it's all related to the fences being pulled in either because, you know, right center going from 421 to, what was it, 415? I mean, that's still... Yeah. That's still... uh, There is no right center gap quite like that. Uh, It has been a crippling park for power hitters, especially left-handed power hitters. I want to say since the Giants, since this opened in 2000, uh, only, yeah, okay, I'm verifying here. Since that park opened in 2000, taking Barry Bonds out of it, because obviously he was a freak of nature, but (laughs) Jeff Kent and Rich Aurelia are the only other two players to hit 30 home runs for the Giants since that park opened in 2000. It's crazy. Um, and obviously none will this year because it's really short, but it's, it's been a, it's been a very interesting month for all, like the giants are third and run scored. The top three teams are all in the AL, uh, the NL West Dodgers, Padres and giants. Uh, it's, it's, it's unfamiliar territory for them. Uh, you gotta apply the ca- the sample size caveat as with everything else that we analyze at this point in the season. And, you know, I, I do suspect that if we got a full six months, the home run park factor would lower back toward the bottom of the league. Uh, that's my suspicion, but you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's something, it's something worth keeping an eye on. And I appreciate the research you did looking into it. Well, well, thank you, Scott. Um, but I will just add, uh, I agree. Like, let's see what happens over the next month or so, this final month of the season, and see where things kind of settle in for San Francisco. But, you know, if, if things do kind of remain where they are at, I think that, you know, we have to factor that in a little bit more into our draft prep for next year. Whereas uh, for the pitchers, maybe it's, you know, not this great pitchers park that we're that we've come to know for Oracle or, you know, we don't have to downgrade their hitters as much as we normally would have. So just keep those things in mind uh, heading into next season. Let's see how the rest of this season kind of finishes out. Email of the day from Ian. And maybe we should have included Keston Hiera in, in the stinko meter. I don't know. Well, let's talk it out. Is Hiera a bust? Any hope for him to turn it around? I feel like he falls into the, quote, guys that haven't really been discussed on the pod all season category, which, yeah, there are a few players because sometimes it's just, there's a lot going on, guys. Sorry. Uh, but for Hira, he is the eighth best second baseman in Roto. He's averaging 2.7 fantasy points per game, which is 16th at the second base position, uh, 229 batting average, but nine homers, 20 runs, 21 RBI, three steals. What have you made of uh, Keston Hira's second season to this point? Yeah, when you strike out as much as he does as he did as a rookie 30.7% at the time that that introduces a lot of volatility to the profile. I was hopeful that it would get better in his second year. Uh, and it hasn't, it's gotten worse 33.8. So that hasn't helped things. The other, the other thing that hasn't helped is, is like the idea was he could overcome that high strikeout rate. Like he did last year by hitting the ball so incredibly hard. And he's, not hitting it as hard anymore. It's it's kind of the argument I made against Javier Baez in past seasons is it's just like the profile depends on you doing these kind of outlier type things that maybe you're fully capable of, but it's just difficult to sustain from year to year. Small sample caveat applies. <laughs> um, I feel like we should I have, have I have lowered Keston Hira in my rankings because it's it's been a discouraging start to a season that's going to wrap up pretty quickly here. I feel like we should have a ding, like a bell, a small season, a small sample size caveat bell yeah. here on the show. But, you know, we have to take those things into account. I, I think Javier Baez is a great comp. I was a little bit more confident in Hira entering the season because I didn't think the strikeout rate would be where it was at last season, and, and it's gone the wrong way. It's gone up this year, 33.8% strikeout rate. Never really struck out all that much in the minors, so I, I thought it would be better, but 
The batting average is a problem. The swinging strike rate is massive, 21.9%. I mean, that's off the top of my head, has to be among the league leaders. Um, so I don't think he's been terrible because he's giving you some counting stats, but ultimately, uh, yeah, if he doesn't get that strikeout rate corrected, then uh, this kind of might just be who Keston Hira is at this point. Some. What do you think, Scott? Eh, it sounds like you want to say something. Well, I do. Well, he's twenty three years old, right. so that that has to be mentioned too. Like this is not from a dynasty context. Value more or less holding, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to just. I don't want to downplay what his upside can right. be, especially in a roto league. So, right. I think at rest of season, I'm not. I'm not super comfortable with him as my starting second baseman. I don't know what alternatives you have if like Robinson Cano's still out there. Although he was out of the lineup today for Todd Frazier. Uh, Todd <laughs> Frazier is really throwing a wrench in, uh, in the Mets equation there. Started two games in a row. Replaced Dominic Smith in one of them. Replaced Robinson Cano today in the other. And actually had a good game. Two doubles and a home run. Todd Frazier did. Um, it's worth noting that the, there was a left-hander on the mound both days. So maybe they're just going to find a way to get him in against lefties. It was encouraging that Dominic Smith was back in the lineup for the second lefty, and it's not like they're going back to sitting him against lefties. But, yeah, Todd Frazier's going to get kind of annoying there. Some Thursday standouts. We have studs, duds, and somewhere in between. And oddly enough, I'm going to start with somewhere in between because I wanted to talk about Mike Clevenger's debut. I didn't think it was great or anything, but it's worth talking about. Six innings of two-run ball, only one walk, two strikeouts. Yuck. Nine swinging strikes on 87 pitches. 40% 40% slider usage today was a season high for Mike Clevenger. 96.1 mile per hour average fastball velocity was also a season high for Clevenger. What do you take away from this, Scott? It's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, it is because the velocity being down from a year ago when that jump in velocity helped elevate his strikeout rate, uh, it's 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 notable. Like, what he averaged on his fastball in this this debut for the Padres was even higher than he averaged last year, and yet it was a bad strikeout game for him. Only two strikeouts. He's down to 7.2 strikeouts per nine innings this season, and he's had some control issues too. So, you know, if you look at like expected stats for Clevenger, they're not looking so hot right now. I don't see a clear enough reason for concern, though. Especially if if you know his velocity might be trending trending back up now, and look with with less velocity than he had last year, he was still great in 2018 too. So it's not it's not like his profile is entirely dependent on velocity, but y- you like seeing it back there. And uh, I don't know, I'm still hopeful for him. I still have him in my top 20 starting pitchers. Uh, yeah, I I. I still think he's going to be okay, but it has been a little underwhelming so far. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm I'm still hopeful. There's there's nothing in the underlying analytics that really kind of points to us, you know, having that hope. But I'm going to just go based on track record here with Mike Clevenger. Zach Greinke was on the mound for the Astros against the Rangers. Quality start, standard. Zach Greinke, six innings, three runs, nine strikeouts, two point nine one ERA. Don't really think there's much else to add there. Don't look now, but five hits over his last two games for J.D. Martinez, so hopefully he's turning things around. Taiwan Walker was at the Red Sox. He allowed two runs over five and two-thirds with four strikeouts. He has now allowed three runs or less in five of his last six starts. Next week, he is going up against the Yankees in Buffalo. What do you think about that start? Yeah, I... um. I'm not sure. What do you think of it? <laughs> I don't think that it, he is a must-start. Again, this is Taiwan Walker. I think in yeah. a standard points league with five starting pitchers, I don't think that you have to find a way to get him in your lineup. But I think in deeper leagues, for sure, I wouldn't mind it. Uh, I think in Roto, you know, if you're going with like five starting pitchers or six starting pitchers and you want to get an extra start in there, I don't have a problem starting him there. I don't think he's a must-start, but I don't have a problem with it. Full disclosure, I missed who you were talking about. So <laughs> now I know. Taiwan Walker. Um, <laughs> the trickaroo from Scott White. Yeah, no, Yankees. I 
gosh, I wouldn't trust that matchup. The Yankees aren't hitting. This isn't this isn't like the Yankees lineup are used to, Scott. I understand, but I I don't I, I still believe it's a good lineup. I'm not I'm not trusting the fact that they haven't been scoring much recently. Um and I, I really don't trust the profile for Taiwan Walker because it's he doesn't miss bats. He doesn't get ground balls. You know, maybe being a fly ball pitcher works to an advantage in a place like Seattle. Uh, well, he's not in Seattle anymore, is he? Um, he's in Toronto, which is actually Buffalo, which is even worse than Toronto. Maybe. <laughs> and um, uh, he's, he's, he's done well at limiting hard contact. I think the XERA is actually below four, and that's the one that takes into account quality of contact. Uh, but I'm still more of an XFIP guy. And uh, that's not looking so great for Walker. So I think you're playing with fire, especially with that kind of matchup. The last name from the somewhere in between category of Thursday's standouts. Uh, I wanted to mention George Springer, who went two for four with two runs scored. But even with those two hits, he is batting just 206. It's been a very weird season for Springer. He's dealt with a lot of injuries. What do you make of Springer's season to this point, Scott? Well, yeah, like I was saying earlier, uh, he he needs to get something going here before the season's end, or he's gonna going to probably drop quite a bit in the outfield rankings, given his kind of hit or miss profile over the years and his age. And he's on the wrong side of thirty now. You know, some of his expected stats, at least last time I looked at them, look like. Uh, you know, look like they've looked for a lot of his career. Last year was, you know, obviously a career best season, so they looked better. But uh, he's underachieving his expected stats, which really don't look so bad, but definitely don't look like they did last year. So I'm, I'm, I do think he's going to have a strong month of September here. Um, but uh. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't really call him a must-start in a three-outfielder league right now. Yeah, I think 2019 might wind up being the career year for Springer. I mean, he only played 122 games, but 39 home runs, he was ridiculous. Uh, but he is severely underperforming his expected stats. He's batting 206 with a 392 slug. He has an XBA of 263 and an X slug of 475. So, Which was... Those two numbers, they may not sound impressive, but they were very much, they're actually a little higher than they were in 2018. And uh, similar to 2016 and 2015, too. So it's it's kind of a more typical George Springer, at least in terms of uh, quality of contact and plate discipline than we saw last year. It just hasn't led to any results yet, so it makes it seem a lot worse. Some studs from Thursday. Pete Alonzo. Maybe not a stud. I might be stretching a little bit here. But a two-run walk-off home run. He has homered in back-to-back days, so could see Pete Alonso coming around. Trey Turner, three more hits, including an inside-the-park home run. His eighth home run of the season. Trey Turner has been fantastic. Not stealing bases, but very high batting average, scoring a lot of runs, and hitting home runs this season. Tim Anderson, three more hits, including his seventh home run. Two-run scored, two RBI. He's batting three forty-seven. He has a nine ninety-nine OPS. And that's even with an IL stint. The only downside for Tim Anderson, he has a 59% ground ball rate. Don't love that. Clayton Kershaw, six innings, one hit. Six shutout innings, only one hit. Eight strikeouts. The ERA is down to 1.50. 2.64 XFIP, 2.92 Sierra for Kershaw. Uh, the names that I wanted to ask you about, Scott. Alec Bohm, three hits, your boy. Batting 317 with an 867 OPS through his first 18 career games. Just 10 strikeouts to 7 walks, so I really like the plate discipline. Uh, the stat cast numbers look great for Bohm, and the Phillies play 9 games next week. And then also Lourdes Goriel, who has 8 hits over his last 4 games. He has homered in back-to-back days, and he has a 25% line drive rate. So Lourdes Goriel and Alec Bohm, do you have anything you'd like to add on those two hitters? Bohm is actually my top sleeper hitter for next week, at least as things stand now. And yeah, I mean it's it's been going it's been going as well as it could go for him. The skill set translating immediately and very excited about what he's doing. Uh Lord Escuriel, 
Yeah, those numbers are starting to tick up there. That's encouraging. I, I was never the, a big Lordy, Lourdes Gurriel guy in the first place because uh, he had over a pretty small sample of the bats last year, had a crazy hot streak that really carried his entire stat line. Um, but maybe it speaks to a certain level of streakiness that is now, now manifesting this year. So I can certainly see him becoming a worthy contributor and, you know, it, I can certainly see him heating up and mattering again. Totally. Yeah. I mean, if he's about to go on one of those streaks, I want him in my lineup. It looks like he's about to get there because he's, uh, he's pretty hot right now. Again, that is uh, Lourdes Guriel. I also wonder if Edwin Encarnacion, who homered for the third time in seven games today, I wonder if he's starting to come around. The The hits themselves have been few and far between. But in addition to having those home runs, he's, the strikeouts are coming back down to closer to where we're used to seeing them for Encarnacion. He has just one, two, three, four in his last seven games. Um, after striking out a lot early on. So, you know, they only have five five games this year week, the White Sox do, in a week where several teams have nine. So it's not like I'm recommending playing Encarnacion yet. I just think the, you know, it, if he's hot in those five games, then we probably haven't, uh, we probably shouldn't completely dismiss him this year either. Yes, and a typical slow starter is Edwin Encarnacion. So obviously that hurt us. A little bit more than usual in this shortened season because a slow start is basically half the season. Uh, but I agree. I think he's a name to pay attention to, but probably don't want to use him in a five-game week in this upcoming week. Some duds. Can we drop these players? Scott, you tell me. Victor Robles. He's batting 240, two homers, one steal, and the StatCast page looks like a beautiful summer sky. Blue. Blue. Everywhere. <laughs> and it is terrible. Even in a Roto League, Scott, can you drop Victor Robles? I dropped him in a categories league, a 16-team categories league. Actually, I'm not sure I did drop him, but I almost <laughs> did, and I would have been willing to. And, you know, that's only three outfielders, but it's 16 teams. So, yeah, I mean, we're basically there. If, you, if he's not even contributing steals for you, uh, you obviously can't have him in your lineup. So... I got to drop him just to drop him, but if you have if 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 he's the low guy on your roster, I wouldn't be afraid to drop him. Chris Bryant went 0 for 5 with two strikeouts on Thursday. He is batting 178. Scott, is Chris Bryant done? I he might be. I I think it's too early to say. I actually put him on my do not drop list that was just published. Uh on uh, on Wednesday, so I actually put him on there. You know, obviously it's been a stilted season for him, in and out of the lineup, on the IL, off the IL. Really unfair to judge him at this point, but we had concerns coming into the year too. So obviously he hasn't relieved them. It is tough. It is tough. I, I agree. You know, I'm probably overreacting, asking if he's done, but. He's dealt with a lot of injuries, and that's been pretty consistent in his career. Again, that is Chris Bryant. Uh, so we'll see if he can finish up the season strong. But as of now, like, how many the Cubs play seven games next week? All right, so you might still want to use him. But honestly, if you have a better option, I don't think it's crazy to bench Chris no. Bryant right now. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, I have some bullpen notes I want to get to. And, of course, we will look at some of the sleepers heading into week eight. We'll do that here, Fantasy Baseball Today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe 
you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Some bullpen notes from Thursday. Felix Pena had a clean save for the Angels. 1-2-3-9th with a strikeout. Ty Buttry had worked the previous three games in a row, but he has not been good, Ty Buttry. Not good at all, no. He has allowed runs in four of his last six appearances. He has a 4.34 ERA and a 4.8 K per nine. That is Ty Buttry. Felix Pena, on the other hand, a sub-2 ERA, 1.96, and a sub-1 whip, 0.98. I think I think Felix Pena is about to be the closer of the Angels. Got, I, think, I think this kind of... I think today did it. I don't know if that's an overreaction, but I, I think he's the closer now. He's really the only one who deserves to be. He has closer numbers. You know, he's been a starter mostly the past couple of years, kind of a four-inning starter type for them, and uh, would have some really impressive outings with a with a great slider. But he's mainly a two-pitch pitcher. It probably translates better in relief, and the numbers are backing it up. So I think Felix Pena is definitely in those leagues where everybody who gets saves gets scooped up. Definitely needs to be on that list. And I just picked him up in our For the People League, which is a 16-team head-to-head categories league. Curses, Frank. <laughs> which is a first-come, first-serve. So I, I was scrambling. I saw Felix Pena was on the mound. He's about to get saved. Like, oh, gosh, I got I to gotta run and pick up <laughs> Felix Pena. That, that's the only league I have like that, where it's just completely open ad drops. Yeah. And I, I thought this it. league is for the people. Like, what people like a league where it's first-come, first-serve? Like, nobody I'll, likes that. I'll tell you what the For the People League actually is. It's the Aggravate Scott White League. (laughs) Keith Cummings set it up basically just to torment me (laughs) with all the settings I've railed against. And uh, and so that's why you end up with completely open and not even, is there waivers? I think there is waivers. Like if you drop a guy, he's on waivers for a day (laughs) or two. But but for the most part, like anybody who's cleared waivers already is just free for the grabbing. Scott's reaction when he saw I picked up Felix Pena. Uh, he is 3% rostered on CBS if you are desperate for saves. All right, week eight preview. Some sting, single start pitcher streams that I wanted to ask you about, Scott. Throw some names out, out your way and you tell me whether or not you would use these guys. Brad Keller versus the Pirates. Yes. Tommy Malone. Of your Atlanta Braves versus the Marlins. No. Dakota Hudson versus the Tigers. Yes. Adam Wainwright versus the Tigers. I think so. <laughs> I think I'll go with Wayno for that good matchup. Yeah. Wayno, more like Wayne, yes. Yeah. Griffin Canning it. at Texas. <laughs> you proud of yourself? No, it was bad. I, Terrible. I'm. <laughs> I don't, I'm not ready to trust. That's a good matchup. The Rangers lineup is pretty bad, but um, I'm not ready to trust Canning again after one pretty good start. Michael Pineda versus the Tigers. Yep. Spencer Howard at Miami. I don't think so. The hitter schedule for week eight. Teams with just five games are the White Sox, the Brewers, the Dodgers, and the Pirates. Who are the must-starts among those teams? I have Jose Abreu. Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Yasmani Grandal, Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts, and Corey Seager. A few names that I was on the fence for, Scott. Tell me whether or not these are still must-start players in a five-game week. 
Yoan Moncada, yay or nay? I would say... Um, <laughs> I, I would call him less than must start, but most of his... Most people who have him probably have to start him. Kesson Hira. Same thing. Max Muncy. I'd be less likely to sit him. And I will just go out and say that you should bench Josh Bell. Yeah. Yeah. So this is you what where did you find you you did you come up with your own best and worst matchups, Frank? Is you trying to did I, I trying to horn in here? I don't know. <laughs> did I? <laughs> I don't know where did you get this from. Oh no, I just I looked up the schedule and I figured out. Oh okay. Uh, I was trying to figure out who was must start. You know, if, oh, okay. like if I had any players on those teams, like what I, you know, should we still use Edwin Encarnacion? No, I don't think so in a five game week. Uh, some teams with seven games: the Royals, the Cleveland Indians, the Astros, the Braves, the Padres, the Giants, the Cubs, the Diamondbacks, and the Yankees. Teams with eight games: the Tigers, the Rangers, the Cardinals, and teams with nine games. As we've mentioned, the Phillies, the A's, and the Marlins. So with that, Scott, who are your sleeper hitters? Okay. So my sleeper hitters, I mentioned Alec Bohm. He's number one on the list. The Cardinals are in line to face six, no, I'm sorry, seven righties in their eighth game. So I think you got to go with the red hot Brad Miller for that, knowing he's going to be in the lineup as a left-handed hitter. Uh, speaking of left-handed hitters, Mitch Moreland, the Padres have six righties in their seven games. So, you know, we, we'd heard he's probably going to play even more with San Diego than he did with Boston, but we know he's going to be in against right, the righties. And I actually have the Padres as having the third best matchups this week. So Mitch Moreland, I think is a good choice to play. Uh, Clint Frazier continues to play regularly for the Yankees. They have the fourth best matchup, so I like him. He's available in more than half of CBS leagues. Jesus, Ag- um, I'm sorry, Austin Riley's been hot. I actually don't love the Braves matchups this week, but they do have seven games. And as hot as he's been, as available as he is, I think he's a fine sleeper. Uh, the Rays only have six games, but there's six games against... A lot of really bad pitchers. Four of them are against the Red Sox. So Willie Adamas, who's been hot, I think you can continue to roll with him. I would like uh, Jesus Aguilar. I think he just returned yesterday to the lineup for the Marlins after missing a little bit of time. Uh, and Garrett Cooper, who we've talked about, he's been he's been playing. He got back in the lineup recently and is off to a pretty good start. They, they're they one of the teams with nine games, the Marlins are. And in fact, they're my favorite. No, the Phillies are my favorite with nine games. But the Marlins are my second favorite with nine games. Out of three that, teams. Those are, <laughs> those are my number one and two hitter matchups this week. Phillies and Marlins. So, Aguilar, uh, Cooper. I'm going to be watching them over this weekend. And, and you know, if they if they stay hot, I think they're... I think they're going to be good plays. They're widely available, both of them. I'll throw John Birdie in that mix too, Scott. I think he's like sub 40% rostered. He's 30%, yeah. Okay. I I gave him a look. He just he's just not a very good hitter. <laughs> but if you need steals, certainly yeah. in those in a nine game week. I think he has eight steals. Yeah. Which is crazy. It's like second in baseball. It feels like he's barely played. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave it at that. I got to save some surprises for the column. That's right. Make sure you check that out at cbssports.com. You can find Scott's two-start pitcher rankings, his sleeper pitchers, and, of course, his sleeper hitters over the weekend. I want to answer some questions quickly here. Let's see how many of these we can get to. Fantasy Baseball at cbsi.com. This one's from Brendan. Hi, Taylor. Tyler and Trevor. Those are Rodgers. Those are Rodgers. I've been offered Luis Castillo and Christian Yelich for Nelson Cruz and Mike Clevenger. I think I'm going to take it, but you've asked us, the listeners, to inquire before we accept. Do I take it? (laughs) Five by five categories league with no keepers. Give up Cruz and Clevenger to get Castillo and Yelich. Wow, they really listened to you saying that, Frank. I appreciate it. We've had a few people reference that comment of yours. (laughs) Uh, I would take it too. 
I would take it too. It's it's really testing process over uh, production there, especially with Nelson Cruz, how great he's been and how not so great Yelich has been. But I think you got to do it. I think it's I think it's the correct process. I agree as well. This one's from Sam. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but let's talk about it. I feel like Scott's dismissal of Wainwright as a good fantasy option is incorrect. With as much as expected stats are used in today's game for fantasy purposes, his weren't even mentioned on the show. Among starting pitchers with at least 100 plate appearances against, Wainwright has the exact same ex-woba as Garrett Cole, Sonny Gray, Max Scherzer, and Zach Greinke at 306. I don't think you will be d- dismissing any of them anytime soon. He may not get the strikeouts the others do, but he has not been allowing as many hits or walks. Mm-hmm. So take that, Scott. Okay, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, I did mention earlier on today's show, so I guess I'll get into it now. I still prefer XFIP to XERA, even though XERA takes into account quality of contact. It's because I don't really trust quality of contact stats for pitchers. I think they're highly variable. I think uh, even from one year, like I think you basically, I, I think you need a big sample to really know whether there's any legitimacy to it. And it can even change drastically from one year to the next. It's just not, it's just not a way I feel like we have really good ways of evaluating pitchers already before Statcast even entered it into the equation. I feel like we didn't have that with hitters. So Statcast has helped a lot more with hitters than pitchers as far as I'm concerned. And I still think if you're looking at um you know strikeouts, walks, ground ball rate, uh, which is tied to home run rate, like that's really where you're gonna be that that like that's that's really the best way to evaluate pitchers still and Wainwright does not miss many bats at this stage of his career and he's not that great of a ground ball pitcher either so his xfip is 453 and um I think that's pretty indicative of his skill level. Now he does pitch deep into games and in a year like this one, especially where so many pitchers are getting pulled before the fifth inning. I mean that he has some value, but I, I, I could only justify using him when the matchups are right. I will say that Statcast for me when evaluating pitchers has been a little bit intimidating. If I'm just being completely honest, I still do use fan graphs a ton. And along with what Scott said, I do use K per nine and walks per nine and ground ball rate. Uh, and some of those ERA estimators on fan graphs. I also like to use swinging strike rate a ton. I like to use chase rate and first pitch strike percentage. Those are three stats that I really like to look at a lot when it comes to starting pitchers. This next one's from Frank, and it's not me, I swear. I'm in a 10-team head-to-head categories league, and Jake Cronenworth is still available, but I'm having a hard time figuring out who to drop for him. My hitters are Yadier Molina, Freddie Freeman, Cattell Marte, LeMahieu, Corey Seager, Yelich, Luis Robert, Trent Grisham, Anthony Santander, J.D. Davis, and Dom Smith. Would you drop any of those for Cronenworth, Scott? Well, I can understand why you're having a hard time (laughs) deciding who to drop for Cronenworth. I actually included all of these players, including Cronenworth, in my do-not-drop list. So uh, that's what happens, I guess, when you play in a 10-team league. I think I would drop Dom Smith. No, what? No, 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 no. I just saw a name. J.D. Davis. As much as I love J.D. Davis, and he homered today, he had a multi-hit game yesterday, maybe he's going to come around. But I only had him as do not drop for Roto Leagues with the bigger lineups. So I think I could drop him for Cronenworth uh, even before I dropped Dom Smith. This one's from Brian. In a Dynasty Keeper League, I was offered Carlos Correa, Andrew Vaughn, and Julio Rodriguez for Juan Soto. Thoughts? Uh, Correa, Vaughn, and Julio Rodriguez for Juan Soto. I'm assuming you're keeping all of these players on equal terms, and I would not do that. I always have a tough time evaluating very highly ranked prospects for a player who is already one of the most elite in the game, and I think more often than not, you should keep the more elite player, which is Juan Soto. So I Yeah, especially when he's so young. I mean, it's such a future. What, 22 Um, years old? Yeah. The thing that would change it is if Soto's very expensive to keep and those prospects are very cheap to keep, then I think you consider it. But, um, you know, you didn't reveal that information, so I assume it's not a consideration. 
This one's from Mark, a Dynasty Points League. I traded Trevor Bauer and Denelson Lamette and got back a haul of Davey Garcia, Mackenzie Gore, Gavin Lux, Brett Beatty, Tommy Edmond, and a rookie draft second round pick. I'm not in contention to win the championship, but not at the bottom of the standings either. I think this is a Grand Slam haul in a Dynasty League. Grade the trade. You know, it, again, not knowing the full context for which these players are going to be kept makes it... I, I don't understand the economy of your league as well as you do, in all likelihood. So, take that for what it's worth. I, I would call this like an like a C. It's it's it looks like basically an even trade. I think I think with the way the year Bowers having and uh you know Lamette looking like a must start player at the most important position as well. Uh, I think they should demand a really good prospect return. You got two top 5 prospects for them uh plus a couple pretty good prospects. I I think that's appropriate. I I agree. I think it's I think it's about fair. This one again is these questions that are a little bit tougher to evaluate. I'm constantly answering questions in the inbox, but the ones that I find too tough, I usually bring to the show so that Scott can answer them. If just full transparency. That'll do it for today's show. Reminder, send in some questions over the weekend. Put FBT mailbag and we will answer those in our second podcast that we record on Sunday, which will be released on Tuesday next week. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. Have a fantastic weekend, and we will talk to you again at at some point. It's really hard. I'll I'll figure it out. Bye-bye! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.